So um, I also have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning, Ken Helser, also known as Papa Ken by all of our Camp Morley people. <clears throat> we're so excited to have you here. I think, I don't know if we're the first group of campers that started calling you Papa Ken. Is it because of Cadence? Because Cadence, his grandson started coming. I mean, of course, Cadence says it more like Papa. I don't think I can do it justice with my Canadian accent, right? But, but we've started calling him Papa Ken, and um, he's been our camp speaker and pastor for the last four years, maybe five, five, five years. And so really, but that's really not where it started. That's where it started for this generation, but he's been a camp pastor for, for decades, right, at Camp Lure Crest, and a lot of our other members here, their kids are now coming to Camp Morley, but they started at Camp Lurecrest with Papa Ken as their speaker and, you know, camp pastor. And then even before that, I was talking to Jim Hill earlier, and he was saying that, you know, they've had such a long relationship, and Ken and Linda really sewed into um, Jim and Kathy's initial, you know, the, the first seeds of, of them going down to Argentina. So really, you know, this sort of connection goes back a long ways. Ken, why don't you come up here and let me pray for you? And we're just so excited to have you. <laughs> Are you good? Are you going to come up too, Linda? Not right now. Linda's the better half. Come on, Linda. We've loved having you at camp too. She comes and visits. And, of course, Ken tells us stories. Some more colorful than others. Probably some you probably are glad you weren't there for, maybe. <laughs> you know how he is. <laughs> We're so excited to have you guys. Yeah, let's give them a hand. It's so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Don't start crying. No, I'm going to start crying. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, I'll try to pray. <laughs> oh, thank you. <clears throat> well, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for the many, many hearts that Ken and Linda have touched and the journey that you have brought them through and the grace that they have to share it with others. I thank you, Lord, for, for the heart of the Father. Lord, that the kids are just drawn to him because of the love that he has for them and and just, Lord, we know, it, we won't even know this side of heaven how many lives that, you know, just that they've touched and, and that when you touch other lives, that those lives are touched and the chain that goes down. And, oh, Lord, we just thank you. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear from Ken this morning. And we just pray that you would just speak through him. Thank you, Lord. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I just can't help it. Lord, I just want to thank you for faithful servants who have sown kingdom seeds into multiple generations. 
that for decades have been faithful to you and have marked multiple generations for your kingdom, Lord. We just thank you. It is such an honor to have these people in the house, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus. We thank you and we bless them because they have blessed us for decades, Lord God. They have just, these are tremendous people, Lord Jesus. We thank you. Lord, we thank you. I'm getting on this. Our hearts are bursting over. Lord, you've been really speaking to us about spiritual heritage. And Ken and Linda are so much a part of our journey. And Lord, we just feel honored, Father, to have them here today. Lord, so many lives in this place have been touched. So many children, Lord, Lord, have been majorly impacted, Lord, by the impartation that have come through Ken and Linda. And we're just grateful today. We're thankful to have them, Lord. We just, Lord, we just say, have your way this morning for those that don't know them here, that they would easily be able to tap in, Lord, to the history. Lord, just even to the history. Lord, there's no time and space in the kingdom. And that those present today, Lord, will connect in to what you've done through the many years, through this, these servants, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have one more quick story I want to tell on you. So um, when, when Papa Ken started coming to camp, he said it used to be that when, he, when Jonathan, if you don't know, this is Jonathan Helser's father and mother. And Jonathan Helser and his band, you know, they, they got a Dove Award last year for the song No Longer Slaves. So um, he said it used to be when, when Jonathan was younger, people would say, oh, wow, Ken Helser's your dad. And now he says, now he goes around, people say, oh, wow, you're Jonathan Helser's dad. <laughs> but, you know, we still honor you as Ken Helser. <laughs> yeah. Amen. God made notes everyone is different and I'm waiting on the first slide to come up behind me there's a place in my heart for you It's a special kind of place And it's made just for you So please Take up that place In my heart I don't know how Jesus did it Without a PA system and a microphone must have been supernatural mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord 
I give you me. Lord, I give you me. It's funny when you get old and your voice gets rough and rusty. And you know you sang a lot of years of rock and roll. And you don't care whether you're on key or not. It's all over the place. I'm saying, God, it's awful to sound like that. But God doesn't listen to the notes. He only listens to our heart. My wife cannot sing on key to save her. And every now and then she gets just loud enough for me to hear her. And it's so off key. But it's so precious to God because I know it's your heart. So, Lord, I give you me. Lord, I give you me. That's all he wants. Sing with me. Lord, I give you me. I think one of the reasons why I'm so just blessed is two years ago the Lord spoke to me in my journal in time and he said you've gone long enough I thought I'm ready <laughs> today's the day hallelujah well, wouldn't it be nice to just this be the end I mean just right now psh- Scope, we're out of here, you know. You don't have to worry about Christmas presents or going in debt. Or, I mean, just it just be. Oh, just the men. How many men have already bought your wife a Christmas present and feel like it's over? Only two men. I know exactly how you feel, brothers. And you got to do it every year and you got to come up with something, you know. So anyway, the Lord said, you've gone enough. And I thought, hmm, that's true. He said, but if you'll stay home and just be mine, I will make your next season the most fruitful season of your life. And I haven't been in a church to minister in so long I don't remember the last time. So when Jim asked me, the Lord said, you can go. I'll go with you. I am so grateful. 
that you would have me. I mean that with all my heart. And I have just been home for about a year and a half, two years, except for the camp. And I have never loved Jesus more in my whole life. Every morning, he's waiting. And he's so excited to be with me. He, he enjoys me more than I enjoy him. The key to enjoying God is seeing how much he enjoys you. So this is such an honor, right? I feel clumsy. I feel sort of stupid. And I don't even care. <laughs> I really could. I could just stand here and put my hands in pocket and smile at you for an hour. And that's it. Isn't it wonderful? When you're young, you, you, oh God, I repent. I don't realize how much I performed in ministry. It breaks my heart when he told me to stay home and I, I didn't want to stay home and I had no idea how much my identity was wrapped up on performing and doing ministry. It's just so hard when you realize you've made an idol out of your performing and doing ministry and that Jesus wasn't enough to be content with until it's like the brother said, I never knew Jesus was all I needed till he was all I had. And he is more than enough. Wow. But back in the old days, I, I got invited to more Methodist churches. Baptists would not have me. And the, the, the assembly of God because I was baptized in the Holy Spirit six months before I ever spoke in tongues, they wouldn't have me. <laughs> Y'all didn't know they believe that. <laughs> you know you're baptized in the Holy Ghost when you read your Bible. Anything with a capital S spirit, you're going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Not someone in a book, but someone inside. Nobody can take it away from Someone said, I've never met anybody baptized in the Holy Spirit that didn't know they were. <laughs> I'll give you another one just right down that same track. You can have all the God you want. It's either self or it's God. There's 900... In my old dictionary from college, there's 600 self-hyphen, self-acceptance, self-confidence. And one day the Lord just said, it's, well, it's either self or me. He said, go through the dictionary and put God in front of every one of those selves. But so I went online and I found out there's 900 self hyphens because we got things like selfie. <laughs> There's more self today in the world. So I said, well, oh, God, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
Don't you love to argue with God when it gives you something? I mean, you do, don't you? I'm not the only one that says, you know, wait a minute. There's this thing called, in Galatians, Paul called it self-control. I said, that's self. It's in the Bible, self. He said, is it really? (laughs) Are you really in control, or is that God control that you call self-control? Okay, I'm sorry. So when I go to churches... And they'd hear me talk, and they didn't know who I was. I used to have this shirt called Godwiser. And I loved to wear that to churches. Because people would start praying for me to get saved right then. So anyway, they'd say, well, who are you? And I said, well, I'm one that's going to be here to uh, minister today in your church. And they said, well, let me go get the prayer team. I said, why is that? They said, because you're so hoarse, you must be having a terrible cold. I said, no, that's just the way I am. So I found this song, and I love this song. And, you know, I've never had a lot of attack from Christians, but I, I mean from the world, but I had a lot of attack from Christians. Saying, that's, not, that's not a scriptural song. I thought the cross tore down the barrier between what is secular and spiritual. I live, that's my voice right there. I live, red roses too. I love them for me and you. I say to myself, oh God, you really have made an incredible, beautiful, wonderful world. I see skies of blue, clouds of white, bright, shiny days. Dark sacred nights. I say to myself, Holy, 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 what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow, pretty in the sky. And the smiles on your face People passing by Shaking Saying how do you do I really think They're really saying I love And I hear babies cry. And then I begin to watch them grow. And my heart cries out, Oh God, may the next generation know more than mine has ever known. And I say to myself, 
What a wonderful Someone said that if your vision for life doesn't go past your grave, ask God for another vision. And Melissa told me one time that Rick Joyner said, Melissa, when you, when you plant apple seeds, what do you get? And Melissa said, well, Rick, you get apples. And he smiled, no, you get orchards. And these are orchards that are going to go way past my grave. In Jesus' name, if your vision for life stops when you die, ask God for a bigger vision. We can all go home now. How much stuff do you give Preaching, and you know that only about 2% is going to work. <laughs> Let me see what I have up. Oh, it's this way. Nineteen eighty-six. My wife and I. Two weeks when I was, I was. I gave my life to the Lord in 1970, on May the 19th. It's another story that would take an hour to tell. But two weeks after my making him Lord, I gave up my music career, confessed my horrible life as a rock and roller to my wife. And though my wife was healed of cancer of the uterus, we were two weeks from a hysterectomy when a prophet named Kermit. <laughs> you know God has a sense of humor. <laughs> from Thomasville, retired school teacher, came to me at 33 years of age in 1976 and said, um, the Lord appeared to me and you're going to have a son whose name will be Jonathan David and he will play the harp and write songs for his generation. But two weeks after my salvation, so, so what I wanted to say, that I, let me help finish that thought, is the greatest miracle of my life was not the healing of cancer. The greatest miracle of my life is that my wife forgave me and never, ever brought up my past and thrown it in my face. It's like it never happened. Her favorite verse in the Bible, besides uh, love covers a multitude of sin. <laughs> oh, don't you love that one? Anybody here without a multitude? Come on up, I'll give this whole thing to you, man. You can have this church. There's only one verse in the whole scripture that's wrong, and that's when Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Nothing that way, man. Anyhow, um, she forgave me and never looked back. And her favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ. That person 
is a brand new creation that has never existed before. Not a better you, a new you. A new creation in Christ. And so that to me is the great, greatest miracle. But the Lord did speak two weeks after giving him a heart. I have no idea where we're going. I said, the Lord said, we're going to have a farm. Now there's two things my wife said she'd never do. Um, never marry a preacher or a farmer. <laughs> Don't ever tell God you won't. So anyway, if she thought she was safe marrying a singer in a rock and roll band, never going to be a preacher or farmer. But that was in 1970, and it took us uh, 16 years. We bought 52 acres of land in Randolph County. And the song, There's a Place in My Heart, we called it A Place for the Heart. And we wanted it to be that. And my little boy, Jonathan, was eight years old when we bought that piece of land. And we had vision, we had idea, we had thought for it. And the long and short is, we only planted a seed. And this past year, one of the more difficult things on one hand, but beautiful thing on the other is, it was time for Linda and I, after 30 years of developing those 52 acres, to turn what we had worked on over to our children. And I, we both would tell you that our children have gone so far past us. My oldest daughter had a dream for nine years of some kind of eatery, bakery, coffee place. She has a place in Ashboro called The Table that has just transformed Ashboro. I could brag on her because she's my daughter. My other daughter, Jody, has raised three incredible children. She's the one that had a little boy that was diagnosed with cancer when he was 13. And Spencer was uh, given a 7% chance of survival. And he is now in Dublin, Ireland, leading a team from Kona in a place where many times when they walk out of this place, they will find somebody either overdosed or dead outside the door. Minister, he called me last week and said, Papa, I just led my first person to Christ. That little boy, only 7% chance the little boy who, she calls me one day on the phone. She said, Daddy, will you please talk to Spencer? I said, well, where are you? She says, we're in the car, but Billy is having to hold him in the back seat because he wants to jump out. He's tired of going to Brenner's and Winston-Salem and getting radiation and chemo. He just wants to die. And the day before, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. She said, would you tell him he's not alone? I said, Spencer, hey, Papa. I said, I just want you to tell you you're not alone. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, I got cancer too. And he said, Papa, why does God hate us that much to do that to you and I? I said, Spencer, I don't have any answers, and I'm not going to try to answer that question. I could try to tell you a lot of things but I just have a prayer what's that Papa? I want to marry you not bury you that means we both are going to live 
So that's my daughter, Jody, who's a writer. Then along comes Jonathan, who I taught him his first chords on a old guitar. A boy was so white. I had a black nanny that taught me how to move and how to have rhythm. A boy was a, he had a good voice and he could sing on key, but he had no rhythm. I said, something messed up in your genes, boy. <laughs> Went to, I want you to know a little inside that the prophet said that Jonathan would be born to us and when you're two weeks away from a hysterectomy, from cancer of the uterus, you just sort of wonder if that's God or not. <laughs> that's a great word. I, I love that word, but I don't know about it. <laughs> I am so glad that it, our God, when he really gives you something, he confirms it. You know it's God when you get confirmation, affirmation, confirmation. And the confirmation was incredible. So when Jonathan came into the world, the only thing we told him, we didn't tell him the part that he's going to have a voice. He's going to play the harp, sing like an angel, and he will write prophetic songs for his generation that will go all over the world. The only thing we told him was, you know what? You're a miracle. In fact, you're such a miracle, you better treat your mama better than you've been treating her. I'm going to wear your butt out. <laughs> You know, you think when you get a word that he's going to come out of the womb playing a guitar. <laughs> then I said, I hope not. <laughs> so we only told him he was special and it was a gift from God. Never told him he was supposed to play music or anything. Showed no interest in music. Just give him a ball. Soccer ball, baseball, not football. He's too skinny. But basketball is incredible. He goes to YWAM when he's 19. I gave him a guitar. I gave him a Bible. I, t I already taught him how to journal at Camp Lorecrest. I taught journaling for years at Lorecrest. And um, in fact, that was one of the things people had a hard time with in my ministry. You're teaching 13 and 14-year-old kids how to write the voice of God. They can make up anything. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be teaching children to write down what they hear. They could get it wrong. I said, well, I, I don't prefer to be a Catholic either. I think they can hear God for themselves. They don't have to always have a priest to hear God. And so I gave him a, we gave him a journal. We gave him an Oswald Chambers, which has been our friend for 47 years. My utmost first highs. It's my 47th time around. And people say, haven't you memorized it yet? How many of you have read the same truth in Scripture for all your life, and it's always new? Behold, I make all things new. So we went to visit him, and he decided to do his DTS in a place called Nuneaton, two hours north of London, and visit him on Thanksgiving. They don't celebrate Thanksgiving in England. It's so funny. I don't know why. <laughs> So we went to visit him on the last night. Um, some of the kids said, Jonathan, play 
your mom and dad some of your music. And he was a little. I knew I, I all he knew I taught him about D C G E and A, which is simplest chords on the guitar. But I I said you're here, you're leading some worship. They said, and all the kids around said, do the song. I said, wait a minute. I had this little cassette. Remember cassette? Anyway. <laughs> And I turned on the record and said, your sisters would love this. So he started playing in a minor. And he began to sing. We will take back the land With a testimony we will stand We will overcome worldliness by praising you in the wilderness and we'll lift up a new foundation of praise in every situation we will dance in your palace all our days We will sing in your temple with all our praise. We will shout down the walls in the name of your son. Because we will overcome. He said, I'll never forget the look on your face, Daddy. I'll never forget that look that came over you. When I said, well, well, I did, Daddy. Do you like it? I said, Jonathan, I waited 21 years for word from God to become a reality. And Jonathan said, yeah, Daddy. And our Father's been waiting from the beginning of time for this moment to become a reality. Before the foundation of the earth, he knew you. Predestined to become like. What y'all want to do? Can I do an upbeat song? I need it. You know, for those of you that smoked pot when you were young, remember how much pot it used to take for you to get off on it until you were just crazy. But the more you did it, the quicker you could get there. And it doesn't take long to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. I tell you, it's amazing to me just... I know I knew you were going to look at me with that look like I wish you hadn't said that 
I'm sorry, darling. I, I don't. I hadn't smoked pot since I gave my life to Jesus. I used to love it. Don't tell them that. But I did. I, I loved it. And I remember the first night I, I went to a, a waffle house and ordered a bowl of lettuce. <laughs> and every piece would just explode in my mouth. And I was, I was telling everybody in the restaurant, isn't it amazing how God could bring so much water into a, a head of lettuce? And it just... And I wanted to offer it to everybody in Waffle House, and they didn't want any. But and I, uh, I and I smoked up and read the Bible, and God didn't kill me. <laughs> and all my hippie friends and go by and said, "Don't read that book, man. It'll make you crazy." People read that book, get brainwashed. Glory, I'm glad. <laughs> Anyhow, so let me bring it full circle so they can understand. I had no conscience that it was bad. I was like all the hippies in 68 and 69. Today's worse. You know, God made the plant. He made sand, too. <laughs> You know, pot philosophy is about as dumb as you can get. I used to think it opened up all the channels within me to where I could really get into things. No, it dumbed me down so bad I could only do one thing at a time, and I thought I was more concentrated. <laughs> wow, take a bite out of this donut. It's because that's all you could see as a donor. You could see anything else around it. So I, I'm a Christian, and I go up to the Blue Ridge Mountains to minister to some kids. And, and it's one of those starry nights that's just, whoo. And I said to God, I said, wow, I wish I had a joint right now. <laughs> and I had a little twinge of guilt, small, and I said, was that, was that wrong? And the Lord answered me with a question. I love the way the Father, the way the Lord, many times in my life, answers me with a question because he wants me to get the answer. One of the things I'm learning about the Spirit when a question rises up in you, that's probably the voice of God because you weren't smart enough to ask the question in the first place. But he knows where you are in your season on your path and what the next step is necessary in the path of life. And so therefore, he stirs up something within you to ask so that he can be the answer because if you don't ask the question, the answer is not relative. So... Is this wrong, Lord, that I would want to have a joint right now and groove on the stars? I used to love to just, just wow, look at the stars, wow. And the Lord said to me, don't you like my world the way I made it? I wasn't that spiritual. I'm only 
four, five, six weeks old in the Lord. And I said, what do you mean? He said, isn't the way I made creation enough for you? Can't you enjoy it for the way I made it? Or do you have to change you to be able to enjoy what I've made? I said, God, for the rest of my life, I want to see everything through your eyes and no other eyes. And I laid down on that hill and for hours we walked on the stars. And that meant I was delivered even from the want. What a mighty Savior in God, transforming within with his own nature. It wasn't that Ken changed, it's that Jesus came forth, because that's the way Jesus saw the creation. And one of the questions is, how do you know if it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, how do you know when it's God and when it's you? It's when you don't know you're there. Was that me or was that Jesus? If you're one, does it matter? It's one of the mysteries, Paul said in Colossians. A mystery withheld from the ages. Christ in you. And when Paul writes in Galatians 2, I, yet not I, but Christ. I, but not I, it it is. So which is it? That's the oneness. So I, I began to understand that at a church reunion, 50, some, maybe a hundred year reunion of a Pentecostal holiness church. I can't even say it without using that black thing in me. Pentecostal holiness church. (laughs) You know, white people say Holy Spirit. Black folks say Holy Ghost. (laughs) I love it. Big long line. I did the ministry that morning between Pilot Mountain, Mount Airy, way off in the boonies. And they had a table that was almost as long as the, at least as wide. And they, to do a covered dish dinner, there's a psychology to do it because you put the things that people don't necessarily want to eat first. Salads and slaw and stuff, vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, beets. And then you come in with with bread and things and you save the meat way down the table. And the desserts always last. And if they only give you one plate, even though you've got wells in it, divisions in the plate, it fills up, so you don't have much room for the desserts. So I had gone through, and I had to come back and sing after this thing, so I was trying to be careful not to take too much. And when I got down to the desserts, they were just, it was at that season where the strawberries in and blueberries are popping, and man, the women, and women love to shine. Maybell, tell my girl, what, what'd you put in that pound cake? Oh, that's mama's recipe. I'm sorry. I, I ain't sharing mama's recipe. Oh, that was the best pound cake. My thing melting my mouth. Man, what I say? So I'm down there at the end, 
And I look over and see the ugliest demonic chocolate pie I have ever seen in my whole life. The sucker was, the woman obviously had left it in the back of the car. And being June, it was 90 that day. And the meringue had melted. And had just, it was just soupy, swirly, soupy, ugly. And I just said, ain't nobody going to eat that cake, that pie. And as soon as I said it, I had what I thought was an imagination. And the imagination was all the women would come to get their empty plates and their serving dishes. But someone would come and nobody would have touched that pie. And she probably would just have rather left that pie plate there than to let anybody know she made that ugly sucker. And I turned around without thinking, and I had to use my spoon. And I start dishing that pie, and I see my beautiful, I love those deviled eggs. The deviled egg is starting to move. (laughs) And it's it's ugly, sinfully ugly. And my plate is going to have, because I had to take a whole lot so that it would look like somebody had eaten some of her pie. So I knew not to sit at a table because you couldn't look at it and eat your meal. So I found a cedar tree with a rock, and I went over there, and when I set it on down, I had to level it kind of because the pie wanted to spill out. And I just sit down, and I thought, God, that was about the dumbest thing you've ever done. And the Lord speaks to me, and he says, You're saved. I did Romans 10, 9 on May the 19th, 1970. I know I've been saved. He said, no, you're saved. I said, what do you mean? He said, that wasn't you. That was me. And I began to realize this Jesus life where it's not you, but it's himself. And isn't that all we want? It's either God or self. I want it to be Him. I'll do a fast song in a moment. Anybody want to ask anything? What do you want me to do, Brian? What time do y'all quit? Okay. When we're done. That's not an honest answer. <laughs> yeah. Upbeat. It's okay. Can you do the track for that one? Can you crank it up? Because I can't hear good. Hey, I love this part. If you're tired, you can wake up on this one. Encouraging feet, encouraging heart, encouraging world that holds back the dark, encouraging love, he hold my hand, encouraging me, he understands, understand my fears, 
Understand my doubts. Understand those crazy days where nothing works out. Understand my reason. Understand what I feel. Understand with love, love big enough to heal. With a courage and faith. Encouraging heart, encouraging, encouraging word that holds back the dark. Encouraging, encouraging love, he holds my head. Encouraging me, he understands. Understand temptations when the lights go out and the prince of darkness begins to shout. Jesus understand those situations with a courage in faith, with a courage in heart, encouraging the world that holds back the dark, holds back the dark, encouraging love, you hold my hand, encouraging me, you understand, understand what I have. You understand what I'm not. You understand I get a running spirit. Sing it, girl. Running spirit. When the kitchen get hot, hot, hot. But there ain't no detour on my gospel road. Understand and love. Show the way back home. With encouraging faith. An encouraging heart. Encouraging world. It holds back the dark. With a carriage in faith, with a carriage in heart, encouraging the world that holds back the dark, hold back the dark, encouraging love, you hold my hand, encouraging me, you understand. Now sit down. It goes back a long time ago. Oh. So let me just let me just show you what I love. And that's special. It's amazing to get that many kids to be still. <laughs> and while we were there, Justina, we got the news across the road, down the road from Camp Caraway, that she had a little baby. And that's one of your own. I'm telling you that that little boy grew up and now is not only a guitar player with Jonathan, they're in Scotland right now, I think someone said, but also he's um, head of maintenance of the whole farm. And I'm just so proud of Jake. And he's, he's raising a little bear there, I can promise you that right now. 
So we, <laughs> we went to the top of the hill, and for those that didn't want to walk, And I'm obviously on there because I took the photograph. <laughs> it's about a mile or more, isn't it, I think, Corey? It's at least a mile. And it's all uphill. Anybody that walked was just kind of, we prayed for them. <laughs> and this place up on the top, we had worship. So special. And I was supposed to bring a little message and I asked all the kids to, oh, I'm sorry, it's that way, to open up their Bible. And, and, and I, if there was one thing I would love to impart to the kids is to, to love the God of the Word and the Word of God. Of all the ways to hear God, the Bible, the Scriptures, is every word in that book is God breathed. And rather than making it like a got to read my Bible, is to love to read and hear God. And so I asked all of them to look up and see the Milky Way. And they look at me like they know I've lost it, but they looked anyway. And I said, Wow, look at the, there's the Big Dipper right there. And I pointed, and there's the North Star. I pointed that way. And I said, just because you see, don't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. And this week, we're going to look into the invisible things of God. For Jesus said, blessed are those, when he said to Thomas, you know, now that you see, now that you can put your hand here, now that you can put your fingers, in the, but blessed are those who believe and have never seen. And so I... Love this verse. Since I more or less put it to memory, it seems like I've never seen skies become more beautiful paintings in all my life. Every sunrise and every sunset is what David wrote. The skies reveal the work of his hands. And day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. And yet there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. But wait a minute, they don't make a sound. They don't, their voice goes out into all the earth and we begin to talk about the invisible things of hearing and learning God. Now, just before this camp began, don't even try to read that, but I'll just, I ran across this fellow who is not a Christian at Berkeley of all places. I mean, you conservatives, you all know about Berkeley. <laughs> Um, but this man has, has done 20-some years of research on what happens to people when suddenly they come into power. Suddenly they make a me-and-selling record, and suddenly there's money they never had, and suddenly they become senators, and suddenly they become heads of Hollywood how interesting what we read back there in June and we talked about power. And people say, how come all this stuff is coming out now? Look at this. 
And you put the heads of a powerful and not so powerful under a transcranial magnetic stimulation machine. He found out power, in fact, impairs a specific neutral process in mirroring that may be the cornerstone of empathy, which gives a neurological basis to what Keltner has termed the, I don't know what it is, can't even read it. Once we have power, we lose some of the capacities we needed to gain it in the first place. Power functions as a sort of tumor that ends by killing the victim's sympathies. And they have now studied to find out the brain works best when you're in a place of empathy. Empathy being carrying the burden or hurt of someone's heart in your own heart. And you work with your brain to come up with a solution to fix that problem. That's when the brain's at the top. But when the brain is affected by power with self, and all of a sudden you're in control of everything, one of the first things you lose, you think everybody worships you and you can get by with sexual harassment because everybody wants you because you're God. And that's what's going on today. And it's all coming out. Now, the kids are having a hard time hanging with me with this. So we had to kind of go at Sometimes I said, it's like when you have power, it's almost like you've suffered a stroke or a brain tumor and things inside of you shut down. Now, in science, you have to prove that in the laboratory. So for 20 years at Berkeley, they've run tests. One of the tests is to put a camera at a passenger walk. What do you, you walk across the street in a walk zone? Or, yeah. A Ford, a Chevy, a Toyota, um, medium range, low range, generally stop at a crosswalk. But a Lexus and Mercedes, 80% of the time, would just fly through it. You're on the road. You're driving that kind of car. So then they do one. I love this. The kids will remember this one. Called the test of the cookie monster. So they did this thing where they had hidden cameras and they brought people in in groups of three and gave them a menial task to do that was kind of boring. And But they chose one person of the three to be the leader of the group. Then they brought in four freshly baked, mouth-watering chocolate chip cookies. And they gave each group of three four cookies. Ninety-some percent of the time, the last cookie remaining on the plate, the leader took. Then they began to notice that not even did, did he take it, but generally people in power chew with their mouths open. And they often have crumbs that drop onto their, and they're the, they talk the whole time because they're the head of the group. And so they're talking while they're eating and others listen. So an idea came. And we divided all the kids into groups of three and sat them down all over the hill. And they appointed a leader, or we, I don't remember how we appointed a leader of the group. 
Now, we couldn't bring freshly baked, so we had Oreos, which at summer camp is sort of a luxury. And we gave each group four. River Life Church. What do you think your kids did? Linda and I talked about this. What do you think they did? They divided. And two groups came up to me and said, we prayed, Papa Ken, and we think we're supposed to give this cookie to you. <laughs> power. The kind of power that Jesus said, when you get this power, you'll be a servant. It won't rob your life. It'll make your life. I thought, what an appropriate time in what's going on in this world. And when I gave them the thing about the skies, it was just gray. And before we left that mountain, and I thought, you know, kids, those people back home in Morrisville, are praying for God to show up. When I talked to him about the stars in the sky, it was the, it wasn't real pretty. It was a milky watercolor where everything gray. And before we could leave the mountain, there it was. I love this church because you guys love your children. You have a vision beyond your grave. I, um, I have a way of, in my time with God, I have some routines. There's some traditions that don't kill you. But one of my traditions is for the last 30-some years, I, I read Proverbs every day. So I started over December 1st with Proverbs 1 and read through them. They had just their life. Then I read Psalms, and um, two days ago was from Psalm 91, because it's the 1st of December. And then I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, where do you want me to read? New Testament, Old Testament. And he said, I want you to read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And it so happened a couple of days ago, I, I'm about to go into chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, which is the most, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't read it. I, I, I messed up and I identify. I just can't believe how selfish a sinner I was. To sleep around and go after him. You know, I, just, I just love my wife and I just cannot believe what a wretch. And so reading David's mess just hurts me still. And uh, but finally, I did read, and if you're not familiar with it, it, it's power. When David was running from Saul, it was a blessing. He was writing all those songs, all those psalms of God. I, I need you. If you don't come through this thing, I'm dead. But it starts off in the year when men went to war. David stayed home. You can never take a vacation from spiritual warfare ever. 
And so David decided, I've fought enough. You never quit the battle. David stayed home. And when you quit the battle, you get bored. And when you're bored, it opens up the flesh for some kind of feed me, feed me, feed me. Let me give you an example. Very personal. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think of me. It matters what you think of my God. I was in Norway two years ago with YWAM. And I am not good away from my wife for three days. I'm just... (laughs) My wife and I have been married 51 years. I don't want to say this, but tomorrow I will be her age. Now, I'm not going to tell you, oh, my wife, I'll be 73 tomorrow, but anyway, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and I don't want you to sing happy birthday, but I want to sing myself the birthday song that Molly Skaggs wrote in the ministry. Everybody has one birthday. Unless you're born again, then you've got two birthdays, a life that's free from sin. Now, I don't know about birthday cake, but I was born for Jesus' sake. And I don't know about getting gifts, but I was made for his presence. Mm, Happy birthday. Ooh, happy birthday to me. (laughs) So, but when I get away from my wife, I just miss her so much. And, um, She's my best friend. Someone said, how, how do you make it 51 years? It's when you realize that at the heart of every person is mystery. Because the heart of each of us is God. Hebrews says, it does not yet appear. Or maybe it's First John. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he appears we'll be like him. So whatever you are now, you will not be tomorrow. We are going from glory to glory. More of Jesus, less of us. And so I'm still discovering this new creation. Anything you ever get used to and predictable and you know how it's going to be, it's over because you're bored then. And that's where David found himself. It wasn't so bad that he couldn't. You can't sleep. Well, when you're not in the work of God and have really given out or prayed out or just have really, good day, good day, God says. But when you hadn't had a great day and you go to bed and you carry all that stuff with you, you don't sleep well. One of the reasons why we don't wake well is we don't sleep well. And I've been asking for the last six or eight years, God, teach me how to sleep. And one of the first things I've learned is my pillow has become the shoulder of God. So when I lay my head on my pillow, you're there for me, Lord. And I give him every single thing that I can think of that bothered me about that day. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. And then you invite God. Now, if there's something that I'm not getting in my conscious mind, I invite you to dream dreams in me. And if they really, really are you, Lord, help me to remember them. And many times when you get a dream from God, get 
up and write it down because you won't remember it the next morning. And Jonathan has helped me so much. He said, Daddy, you know the reason why you have a hard time with dreams? I said, why? He said, you never asked God what the symbols mean. Look at Joseph's dreams. Seven years of this and seven years. Ask God what the... God speaks the symbolic language. So David can't sleep, so he goes out wandering on the roof. And the way the buildings were built and the, his palace, I'm sure, was higher, he saw a beautiful woman. It's okay to see a beautiful woman. But he didn't just see her, he stared. And he took that beautiful woman into that area of, of his life that all of us men will wrestle with from time to time. Someone, we asked this 82-year-old preacher, I love this, who was one of the most godly men. He taught seminary at Southeastern Baptist, filled with the Holy Ghost. He was 82 years old. His name was Dr. E.W. Price. We called him Buddy. A group of ministers were sitting around. They say, Buddy, at what point do you quit looking? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he was 82. I thought I'd help some of you guys. Confidential information there. So um, I was in Norway, and I was missing you, babe. I was missing you bad. I was having imaginations that if it wasn't for God, I knew it was sin. And they were all about you. It's okay, ain't it? I love the way she smiles at me when she says, it's okay. And I got up from two weeks of ministry, and I got one more week to go, and it's hard in Norway. I made 29 trips ministering there in Youth with Mission all over that nation. And I get up to go brush my teeth, and they have one bathroom for a lot of people, and i got to get to that potty. And I'm on my way with my toothbrush in my hand, and I pass this beautiful young lady who gives me a smile just... And she was really well built. And I go in there and I just finish my potty thing. And I get over the sink and I look in the mirror and I say, God, you're sick. I said, you know what, buddy? Your flesh is really weak right now. And the Lord said, no, your flesh ain't weak. It's strong. If you go home February the 9th, Oswald Chambers, my most first house. That was the devotion for that day. And I needed God. I was tired. Two weeks of travel and ministry, I was poured out. February the 9th, Chambers writes, So Jesus tells Peter to feed his sheep, but he doesn't tell him what to feed them with. In life, people eat Jesus from you and they devour you. And God allows them to take from you until they can get it on their own. Therefore, you've got to guard yourself because all your fresh springs are in him. And you've got to learn how in these times where people are feeding on you that you feed double for yourself. That's what David didn't know. 
That's what David did not know. And I began to realize power is the same thing that's happened to our whole society and culture today. And they're falling just down the road that David was on. Oh, Lord Jesus, send revival. I'm almost done. Oh, yeah. One of the things we do, I have continued to do summer camp over there because we bring the staff and people from the, we're only four and a half miles away, a place in the heart. And Allie teaches them how to do swing dancing. And they love it. And I love it because at 13 or some of the younger kids, she puts a line of boys and a line of girls and you walk through and that's the person you're with. And you say, repeat after me. Because I'm going to dance with you does not mean I'm going to marry you. <laughs> so that night we had J.D. and Aaron speaking and sharing and they were taking lots of pictures of Jonathan's little girl, Haven, who knew how to swing dance from the farm. She was pretty good. And a lot of the guys wanted to dance with Haven because she's pretty too, and she knows what she's doing. She leads the guy. You can see she's telling him what to do. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> and um, so Jonathan's at the house, and Melissa said, wow, look at this. Wow, look at this. Look at this. So Jonathan says, what is it? He said, what's your little girl? I get this text message. Can I come tomorrow night? I'll do some ministry. (laughs) That boy's looking after his little girl, and this is the first because she's only, she just turned 12. Oh, my gosh. So that's my boy. That's my grandson who is about a half of an inch taller, and he's only 15. Yes, I mean that. It wasn't you and Corey and that family. What a precious, what precious leaders to stay there, and especially at nighttime. And why in the world you let them eat cookies and sugar before they go to bed? I just, there, you, I pray wisdom on that area of the way you run camp. Many Christmases ago, we were $18,000 in debt. We were doing a lot of prison ministry in the early 80s. And um, we were just not going to have Christmas at our house. Couldn't do it. We're going to pay our debts first. And my precious wife wrote personal letters to every person we owed money to and said, if we have to sell our home, we will pay our debt. Because it doesn't matter what you think of us, but it matters everything what you think of our God. And as Christians, we ought to be the best with our finances of anybody in the world. And so we're not going to have Christmas. I told the kids, I said, we just, and we probably won't put, somebody gave us a Christmas tree. We drag out all those ornaments and, Linda always makes eggnog, and she always 
makes these special cookies, and I look over there, and licorice, our black Labrador, is drinking out of the eggnog dish. The John Brown Christmas tree will not stand up. Those stupid stands, they put them on. And I don't care what you do. They fall. So I got a ten-penny nail, drove it into the corner of the wall, and got fishing line and tied that sucker up to the wall. And Linda has this song. Everybody likes to take a holiday. Everybody likes to take a rest. Spending time to fair, spending time together with the family. Sharing lots of love and happiness. When you are miserable and someone puts on a happy, happy song, bad things go off in your brain. That beautiful brown-eyed southern belle, peach of a woman, also has this other place that I hope you never see. (laughs) And she looks with me with that Linda Honeycutt, who you were before you married me. She looked at me and she says, with hands, how women use hips is incredible. Scrooge. We can put up the tree without you. Go on. Go to Rocky Mountain. Go give them the good news. I didn't give her the finger. I get in the car. And I feel so bad because this has been, I got to go to Rocky Mount, two and a half hour trip, three hours. And I got this big thing they're doing with all the churches coming together and they're going to have Ken Helser, evangelist. (laughs) And when you mess up with your wife, you know, that thing that says, you know, when you're out of sorts with your wife, God doesn't hear your prayers. God, that's not fair. (laughs) So I try to call her. They don't have cell phones then. And she takes a phone off the hook. <laughs> burn, baby, burn. <laughs> so I get to the church and I'm praying that it'll snow. It's 57 degrees. Praying nobody will show up. Huge sign. The church is packed. I set up my little keyboard and get ready for the service. And I'm going, oh, God, I can't do I'm a performer, but there's one thing I cannot do. I cannot perform ministry. And a couple of times in my life, I faked it to make it, and it's the most horrible feeling in the world because you abused God. Oh. So I decided that when I'm called up, I would just tell everybody to pray for me that we're in debt. And it's not a happy season for me. And I've blown it with my wife and I've been ugly. And the John Brown Church plays worship for 45 minutes. I can't wait. I just want to get this over, pack my stuff and go home. And I'm sitting there and I'm crying out for for God to forgive me, to help me. I'm in that place I met so many times I met the lot in my life. I'm, I'm at the end of myself. 
And it's dark there. And I can't find God. And I said, Lord, please help me. Please help me. And the Lord said, brought to my memory seven times Oswald Chambers uses a phrase, broken bread and poured out wine. And suddenly I said, is this the price of being broken bread to people when you have nothing to give except God? And poured out wine and just my life poured out. And I said, God, is this the price? And he said, yes, trust me. The pastor makes this elaborate introduction. You could think I could walk on water. It was totally embarrassing. Humiliating. And on my way from the front pew to my little keyboard, I heard broken bread and poured out wine. I'm a branch. You're the branch, I'm the vine. So I just went up by faith, and I rather than tell everybody, pray for you and go home, I just I hit an F chord. Broken bread and poured out wine. And it just seemed like the natural thing to go to a G minor. I'm a branch and you're the vine. Purge me, Lord. Make me thine broken bread poured out wine broken bread poured out wine I am a branch and you're the vine urge me Lord and make me thine Broken bread and poured out wine. And the joy of the Lord. I could hardly stand up. And I said, folks, y'all don't know this, but I really intended to come up here to tell you to go home. I had nothing to give. I messed up bad. But God just gave that song. And when I said that, this lady named Dusty Glover jumps out of the pew and starts waving a piece of paper. And she says, I know he gave it to you, Brother Ken, because he gave me the next verse. And she walks up and sits it down on my little keyboard. You're the potter, I'm the clay. I know you hear me when I pray. Teach me, Lord, just what to say. Guide and lead me home. Broken bread and water. When I got home two days later, she sent me the third verse. Jesus, Savior, I'm a soul. I once was shattered. Now I'm whole. All to you, my Lord, I owe. Hold me close. Don't let me go. And I said, God, you're so kind. Because of all the people in the church, You chose Dusty because I knew that her 18-year-old daughter had committed suicide two weeks before. She had just got out of Dorothea Dick's hospital with a total mental breakdown. 
and her husband had left her. And God gave that woman the next verse and the next verse. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting us the way we are and where we are and how we are and just loving us, God. Would you, Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you take pain of individuals in their hearts and would you just take it in your hands and touch pain? Would you, would you help the guys to find a Christmas present? When I was a little boy, I, was, I wanted a oil painting set of 32 tubes of paint in a Grumbacher wooden box. And on Christmas morning, I got five tubes of paint in a Christmas box. And I cried, and I was disappointed. And my mother said this. She said, I'm sorry, son, I could not get you what you wanted, but I've given you what you needed. And I painted that because those five tubes of paint, I got something more than five tubes of paint. Every single day during Christmas holiday, my mother helped me mix and see and understand how color works. And I'm an artist today because mama didn't give me what I wanted, but she gave me what I needed. And I painted that to honor my mother for not giving me the easy way out what I wanted. But she gave me herself also. In the name of Jesus, would you help parents in here to find that gift that's more than the kid getting away to himself, a way that it can bring fellowship between them and their children? Would you give wisdom that we can bless our children with gifts, not necessarily always what they want, but what will build relationship and family. Let us be wiser than the world and not fall for the cheap gimmicks that the children think they must have to be happy and give them far more in the name of Jesus. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Amen and thank you all. What a treat. Thank you, Lord, for the Helsers.